Hi, my name is Sharon Shimanova, and this is Chai Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here, episode two. I am so pumped, so excited. I had the pleasure of bringing on my very first guest, my very first interviewee. He is an absolute dream, an avid spokesperson and a passionate member of the Baharian community, a Queens native, of course, a board member of the Baharian Jewish Union, BJU, a former city council aide to Karen Kozlowitz, and he was actually just recently on the ballot himself in the most recent election for city council representative of district number 29, David Aronov. I am so excited that you're here. And let me just say, I'm pretty pumped that you're not in like campaign mode. You know what I mean? So you're not afraid to get a little messy. So like, let's get a little messy. I'm ready to do it. (laughs) So first things first, I actually am very impressed. I will tell you, generally, I'm obviously very impressed with you with like the fact that you ran for city council. That's very exciting. On a side note, I'm very impressed because I was on your like Facebook campaign page and Lev Levayev, hello, <laughs> literally <laughs> was, like, completely shuns. My jaw was like, on the floor. I was like, oh my God, like this, this is That was pretty cool. That was like towards the end of the campaign and Rafael Niktal, who, who was the editor of the Bukharian Times. Yeah. He was in Russia like a month before the election and he saw Live the Vibe there. And he's like, you have to record this video for David Aronoff. <laughs> and he did it. Like it was, it was amazing. That's great. No, I'm going to be honest with you. Like I was so shook because when I first saw your face blown up on like a big poster, I think the first time that I experienced that was on Danny's Pizza. Mm-hmm. And we were, I was like driving by, I was like, what the fuck? I literally was so confused. I'm like, no way. Like just big letters, like David Aronoff, like beautiful profile, like photo. Like I was like, this is amazing. And I immediately looked it up, obviously, which is the purpose. But I immediately looked it up. I was like, no, I'm, a fo- I'm following. Like I'm standing this, like he's going to win. I was so excited. I came home. I was like, I'm so excited. We're going to have the first like Bihari. When was that? Olympics. I think I was probably like November, October. I saw it. Okay. So that was when we we put up the we put up the banner like October. On yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah, I was getting excited because I started seeing a lot of the the photos and the advertisements, and I was like getting it was honestly every time I would see it, I would it would be like the daily dose of serotonin that I needed because <laughs> because you reached out. I was telling my entire family, I was like, "You have to go vote for him. You have to go. We're not even talking about it." And <laughs> Definitely, it was it was not even an, an item of discussion like in my house because my parents obviously like surprise surprise very like registered Republicans like very conservative people in that sense they're very fiscally conservative I guess like my dad is more socially conservative as well but my mom is like she's getting there we're we're getting somewhere with her but with him like when I said that you were running he was like yeah what like how can I vote for him because it wasn't even an issue of like well what politics does he support or what is, what does he stand for? What are the pillars of his campaign? Like he didn't give a fuck. He was like, we're going, we're voting. Like if somebody from the Baharian community is running for politics, like we're going to support them, we're going to represent them. And that's like the ultimate Baharian thing, right? Like the, the ultimate Baharian like symbol of like, I'm book as fuck. Like I love my community and I want to do this, right? Like what can be more like community loving than wanting to do exactly that? Right. That's why I was so surprised when we had our conversation and you had mentioned 
that you weren't necessarily getting that you weren't feeling the love really from the community which i would love to touch on that because i was really surprised that you were experiencing a lot of that negativity yeah i mean you know it was like half and half like the the younger folks in the community you know were less supportive than the older folks and it's because of like that trump effect right like the majority of the community are trump supporters yeah. and here the republican and then when they hear the word Democrat, they're automatically like, oh, you're a Democrat, you, you, you know, you're everything, you know, I stand against. Um, but they don't even know what a Democrat is. Yeah. Right? They don't even know what a Republican is. A lot of people have no idea, like the differences between, you know, two political parties. And like, they probably don't even know what Trump stands for, right? Like that's- No, that's definitely the, not. Like I'll give you an example. I was at, I was at a, a convenience store on 63rd Drive. We were putting up posters and these like young group of kids, they're like, you know, they like took down my poster the minute after we put it up because like we passed by after and we saw that it was taken down. So we went in there and we like questioned them and we're like, why'd you take down my poster? And they all denied it. Like they're like, oh no, we know we didn't, we don't know, we, we didn't touch it. But then after like I said something to them on the way out, and one of the boys was like, well, you support the Democrats. And like, how dare you support the Democrats? What does it even mean? Like, do you know what that means? Like, do you even know what I'm running for? Do you know what the city council is? Like, you know, like all they hear is the word Democrat and it turns them off immediately. Yeah. <laughs> I was going around registering people to vote early on. And one person said, <laughs> said you got balls running as a Democrat in the Bukharian community. <laughs> but, you know, the older folks, they did have that reaction, like, oh, you're Bukharian, I'm supporting you, that's it. Yeah. The younger folks, you know, they were like, well, I don't care if you're Bukharian, I don't have to support you. And there were people that were like, all like Republican all the way. They're like, only Republican, only Republican. But like, I kept saying, even if I don't win, there will still be a Democrat in this seat. Yeah. Like, that's just the reality. So it was very hard to break through. I would say just like, the, I wouldn't call it misinformation, but just lack of information. Yeah. The community is not politically involved. They don't know what the city council is. They don't know what the city council does. A lot of people have no idea who their council member is. So a lot of the campaign, I was running sort of a dual campaign. It was a campaign to get me elected, but it was also a campaign of giving more information in the community, right? About local politics. Right. And I would say that, you know, a lot more people are aware now. A lot more people are educated about what the city council is and, you know, the importance of being registered within a certain party to participate in the primary election. I think that ex exactly what you were saying with the lack of knowledge, I don't think that I would be as lenient as to say that it would be lack of knowledge. So much so as I would probably lean towards like the willful ignorance aspects of it. It's like, they're aware that it's like, they, have, they don't know what's happening and they aren't fully equipped to have an actual conversation about what's going on in local politics or politics as a whole, but they also don't want to put in the work to actually learn about it. I think right. that for a lot of people who don't speak English, the, the only, like, what are they listening to? Like RTVI and like Pierre Canal, but like, they're not talking about city council and Pierre Canal. like nobody cares enough. You know, it, it is willful ignorance, but it's also nobody... I would say in power in the community talks about this. The rabbis during Shabbat services on Saturday don't talk about local politics. The community leaders, you know, when they have different meetings about the community, they don't talk about local politics. There are no voter registration drives in the community. There, you know, there's no, there's no like organized youth, you know, programming, right? For young professionals, for example, to, to even get involved in politics or local politics, whatever. There's nothing like that. So when you have like, 
you know, different priorities as the Bukharian community has had for as many years as we've been here, it gets put on the back burner, right? When you're building up your family, you're building up your job, you're building up your career, you know, your business, whatever it is, politics always comes last because, you know, the Bukharian mentality for a lot of this is like, I didn't vote before, I'm not voting now, everything's been okay, like nothing's going to change. And for for people, especially who come, you know, from the former Soviet Union where elections were pre-decided or they didn't have many options or they couldn't really, you know, vote, for them, it was like, it's this, you know, intergenerational trauma that continues while they're here. And like a lot of people told me on the campaign trail, they're like, oh, it's not who's voting, it's who's counting the votes. I'm like, that's not true. Like, that's not how it works here. And like, we saw that, like, in my results, I, I was 100 votes away from going into the final round of ranked choice voting. Like, if 100 more Buharians came out to vote, it could have been different, right? You know, it's easy to just say, but when you don't put in the work, when you don't come out, then you get the results that, you know, just the status quo that have been continuing. So, you know, we spent... We spent a great deal of the year on education. And it's it's something that no other candidate had to focus on, right. right? The establishment candidate, they don't have to educate people about voting. They don't have to register new people to vote because they do what they've always done, right? They're not engaging new constituencies. I am, right? I'm engaging a constituency that doesn't usually vote. Meanwhile, I'm trying to reach out to every other constituency as well. The constituency that, you know, are those triple prime voters, people that do come out every single primary election. So it's, it's double the work, double the effort, but with the same amount of resources as everybody else. So it's about prioritizing, right? We knew that if we go all in with the Buharian community, we won't win. So like I didn't exclusively knock on doors that were Buharian. I knew that if I just focused on Buharians, you know, there was no point in running this campaign. But I also wanted to put in a special attention to the Buharian community because, you know, I am somebody who is Buharian. This is a community that, that's never had an elected official of their own. Um, and I felt like it was time. But, you know, the Buharian community is still not ready. They're still not ready to be this force in politics. It's sad. It's sad because we have the numbers, right? If people were organized, but we're not there. Oh, I, I just like, I hate that. I hate that, like the cop out of like, oh, we just need to wait. I feel like a lot of people who I talk to, especially in like the creation of like when I was talking about doing something like Chai or just like in the, like the grassroots part of this, I remember a lot of my family members were like, oh, you just be patient. Like a couple generations, everything will be different. Just like your grandchildren will be better. I'm like, I don't want to live through this. I'm like, I want, I want something different now. Like I want change now, right? I feel like our generation specifically is so used to immediate gratification, right? Like you're, you're waiting for immediately getting something in return. And that's why I think that lots of people are like not not really that encouraged to go into politics because first of all obviously it's like not a very easy field to dip your toes in right and then on top of that it's like it's very slow pace right politics is like also very, don't very, get paid a shit ton exactly and exactly you're <laughs> literally you're literally on a civil servant salary which is like you don't always not a lot of people are like running running to city hall to register and be a representative because obviously you're not going to be shitting out gold coins anytime soon in the near future which is like for the Baharian community, very important. And not just the Baharian community, it's important for a lot of immigrants in general, because it's like, I'm sure you've heard like the TikTok sound that it's like, yeah, it's fuck capitalism, but like, I'm a child of an immigrant. So I can't, I can't say fuck capitalism. You can't because you have to partake in it in some way. And that's why a lot of people, I personally was surprised to see a candidate in general to be Baharian, because I feel like so I've never heard of, of Baharian politics in general. I mean, I've heard of like Baharian politics, but that's primarily just like the gossip and like the shit smearing and things like that but it's not really 
you don't really think of like coming out of the bubble, right? It's like you have this safe space. And I think it was great because you ran in district number 29 and it's like you were running in like the hubs, right? You were running in Regal Park, Forest Hills, Kew Gardens, like Richmond Hill. It's like, that's the, per in my eyes, I mean, I feel like I might be wrong. I think that like the disproportionate population in those neighborhoods is Buharian. If I'm, if, I don't know if I'm incorrect. It's not, the, it's not the majority. There is, maybe it's a plurality, but it's not a majority. There is a significant number of Buharians, but when you talk about the voter enrollment, it's not. But I think that it's so interesting because when you're like in the bubble, you think that there's nothing, there's nobody else except for the members of the bubble, right? right. You're like, right. You're like, and a lot of people like, think that way. They're like, oh, you know, you're Baharian. There's so many Baharians that live here. You're going to win off the bat, yeah. right? Like you don't, you don't have to, you know, go crazy. And I have people tell me that, you know, Baharians, they're like, David, you can't lose. There's so many Baharians. Right. And wake up. Baharians don't <laughs> vote. Like that's not the reality here. I said, if, if, you know, if Baharians, you know, ran this neighborhood and the neighborhoods here, there would have been elected official after elected official who were Baharian. The last time that a Baharian ran for this seat was in 2009. And he came in fourth place, right? He came in fourth place with just like over 900 votes. And like almost every single person that voted for him probably were Baharian. Like that's not a lot of people, right? We, we claim that we have tens of thousands of Baharians that live in this, you know, district. Where are they? Right, like, literally where are you <laughs> like where, where are they right and and why is nobody organizing the community to get registered to vote to actually go vote you know to provide transportation to the polls to have interpreters at the polls this is not something that one person can do right yeah. i can't do this i can't do this on my own it needs to be a community effort and when you have people in the community that are too busy with their business or too busy with their family it shows that they don't care about yeah. politics they don't care about having a voice in the community. Things will continue as they have. You will complain when shit hits the fan, but you will not make the effort to even go out and vote. Which I think why what you're doing is so commendable because yeah, that guy was right. It absolutely, is, it's ballsy as fuck to come out and literally run in District 29 where the majority of people, a good amount of people, right, live in these neighborhoods and you would assume that you'd have that support and you'd assume that you'd have their resources and like a red carpet all the way to the finish line first place like there you go that's how and it's, it might have been like naive and like stupid of, on my part to just like assume that that's what ha what would happen because that's exactly what i thought i was like this is going to be amazing we're about to blow the sh we're about to blow the roof off this bitch we're gonna have the first Baharian guy <laughs> in city council like this is going to be amazing i immediately as soon as i saw your poster i was like well this is going to be great like wow can't wait to see the party that they're going to throw for this but like it's crazy when you say that like people get like 900 votes and then you see like, I think that there are people who have weddings that have like 900 people all from these regions, right. like right. all from these neighborhoods. But let's talk about some key points of your past and your identity that ended up translating into cornerstones of your city council campaign, right? So first and foremost, let's talk about the Baharian Teen Lounge, okay? So over the past year, you've been particularly outspoken about the importance of community outreach and youth development programs, specifically for the Baharian community. I think it'd be probably really safe to say that most Baharian people in our generation at one point or another has either heard of BTL, been a part of BTL, right? But for you, the Baharian Teen Lounge really served as like the jumping off point for your career. So you were at BTL in high school, but you didn't go to Forest Hills, right? Right. I grew up in Briarwood. So yeah. 
BTL was sort of out of the way for me and it was not easy for me to get there. But I had a friend who, you know, had the summer internship and she's like, you know, David, if you want to, you know, get an internship as well, a paid summer internship, you have to start going to the BTL. And, you know, I would, I would go there sometimes, you know, try to be involved with the programming. But again, like living in Briarwood, it was hard, right? Because I didn't live right there. And like, I didn't have somebody to just take me there. I became, I became more active in the Bahrain Teen Lounge. I made a lot of friends there. And then I ultimately ended up receiving that paid summer internship that I wanted. And I was not interested in government. I was not interested in politics. I wanted to go into the health sciences medical field. I went to a high school that focused on health sciences and I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted them to place me in a hospital or a medical office for the internship so I can gain sort of that experience and build from there. But they didn't have anything open for me that summer. So they placed me in the office of Karen Koslowitz, who was the current council member. And, you know, I knew nothing about the office. I didn't know what the city council was, rightfully, right? I was 15 years old and I slowly adapted and grew. You know, I wasn't an intern that sat in the office all day filing papers. That wasn't my job. I actually helped people, constituents that would call with different problems. I would be on the phones and I would be helping and navigating to different city agencies. I went to city hall. I met, you know, different elected officials. I was really hands-on. It was not, you know, sit at a filing cabinet all day. That's not what it was. Then a year after, it turned into a full-time job. I was going to college and I was still working. I I made my school schedule around my work schedule. I mean, it worked, right? It worked out. Uh, Office was flexible and I just continued that. I graduated college in three years. And then after that, I went to grad school and I still worked. Right. So like, Something as small as an internship turned into a full-time job, but then really turned into a career path, what I wanted to pursue further on. The Baharian Teen Lounge was very instrumental in that. Baharian Teen Lounge really gave students the opportunity to discover themselves, to provide, I would say, not just like educational opportunities, but like also social opportunities, but it was really all encompassing. Unfortunately, we lost the Baharian Teen Lounge a few years ago because a new CEO Uh, came in and said that the Buharian community was well off and they don't need the Buharian Tea Lounge anymore. They can take care of their own community. In addition to the importance of youth outreach programs and funding for community outreach, one of the other things that you were really outspoken about throughout the past year and even before you started your campaign was the importance of discussing the opioid epidemic that is occurring and has been occurring in our community. Yeah, so... In 2017, we saw a big spike in opioid-related deaths in the Bukharian community. You know, within a a few week period, you know, there were like two dozen overdose deaths. It was not just Bukharians, but it was like the Gorski community and like some Ashkenaz, but like within the area. And you were running Um, BJU at this point, right? You were like primarily focused on the BJU or was this? This yeah. Yeah, this was 2017. It was a year after the founding of BJU and, you know, we sort of knew we had to take action. I brought it up to the board. You know, not everybody initially was, you know, fond of the idea about organizing around, you know, the opioid epidemic because that's not what our organization was. You know, it wasn't our mission. But, you know, when we when we talk about young professionals and, you know, we talk about Baharian young professionals, like that was the demographic that was suffering, you know, from opioid use. 
you know, we decided to organize a forum to bring in the health department. We brought in somebody who was actually a recovering addict. We brought in the Jewish board, which is a big, you know, Jewish social, social service nonprofit. And we gave out naloxone for free. And naloxone is the drug that can reverse the effects of an opioid overdose. And at the time, it was really unpopular for us to do this. The rabbis did not want us talking about this. The different community leaders were not on board with this. But, you know, at the end of the day, we went ahead with it anyways, and people like then joined us, you know, community leaders at the event. We organized this first event at the 71st Shul, and the whole room was full. The entire room was full. We had a couple hundred people, and we made a lot of noise. We even had press. We had press coverage of the event. You know, when you don't talk about an issue and you try to sweep it under the rug, it's not, you know, it's not going away. It's going to get worse. And people in the community need help and they don't know where to turn to because there's also the lack of cultural competency with existing programs. So part of my campaign was, you know, combating the opioid epidemic by opening a neighborhood health action center, you know, with the Department of Health. These neighborhood health action centers exist in other parts of the city already. It would basically be an expansion of the program. The neighborhood health action center would bring in, you know, medical professionals. It would bring in the health department. It would bring in nonprofits and it would bring in, you know, people who are culturally competent, you know, to work with the community. So whenever somebody's having a crisis, you have this sort of all encompassing approach that is available for them in their neighborhood. So that was, you know, a big, a big part of tackling the opioid epidemic, but also putting more resources into youth programs. Because, you know, this also starts young. If you're neglected or, you know, your parents aren't giving you a lot of attention or like maybe you're getting bullied, you're, you're seeking to make friends, whatever it is, like a lot of these problems stem from your childhood. And when you don't have programs like the Buharian Teen Lounge, it's a big disservice to the community. It, it leads to these, you know, systemic issues. I think it goes without say that having conversations about substance abuse is difficult, right? But at some point, it becomes necessary to address the way that the community has been suffering from this disease. It is impossible to know how people whose loved ones are struggling feel or how they cope with the plethora of emotions that come with that. And because there aren't any government agencies or implemented services like the ones that you and I were just discussing, families are put in a position to turn only to rabbis right in our communities as an outlet for resources. But it is so important for us to talk about the way that some of the practices that we're participating in make it difficult for local government to come in and actually give the community the help that it needs. We need to stop associating addiction in this negative light. We need to remove that false idea that addiction is shameful, embarrassing, or that it's just something that bad kids will get into. No, like this is a disease and it's an illness. It's, it's very real. Normally when somebody passes away, an autopsy is conducted and the cause of death is reported to the city databases. We're abnormal spikes similar to the ones in 2017 and earlier this year in our community would be reflected. This would let the city know that there are people who are in need in those regions. But because the Jewish religion prevents autopsies to be conducted on the dead, there's no reflection on paper. And without that, there's no way for local government to be of much help. That's something that we saw, you know, in 2017, a lot of people, you know, when their loved ones were dying from opioid use, they listed on the death certificate that it was a heart attack. Right. They didn't write like overdose. And that was a big problem because it led, you know, that goes into the city statistics, right? You know, for everybody that dies. And if you just write a heart attack, 
you know, it doesn't have any underlying problems or like, you know, what is the, I would say, what, how do we need to be targeting different public health issues? And like, if you have a heart attack that can just go to like heart disease or whatever other category, when you don't write overdose, the resources are not poured into the communities. And, you know, you're right. It does, you know, people think that it brings a great shame to the family, you know, to the community and people don't want to talk about it. I think now with the age of social media, when someone does pass away from an overdose, the news gets out really fast, especially in like different Baharian groups. I think before, you know, Facebook, we didn't really have that or before, you know, these groups to really create it. So people were able to hide it well. Now they aren't. And what we saw recently, you know, with a few deaths in the community, the parents weren't trying to hide it. They were, they were actually open about it and they wanted to get other people help. They wanted to talk about this issue so other families wouldn't have to suffer. And I think the whole shame, you know, part, the whole embarrassment is not, is not what people should be feeling, right? Yeah. Like you, you lost you know, your child, but let's work together, right, as a community to prevent this from happening more in the community. Because you trying to, you know, save your family name, it's not hurting your family name to begin with, yeah. right? This is a real issue that's not just affecting the Bukharian community. This is, you know, throughout the country. We just saw the other day, there was an opioid settlement for like $30 billion dollars. This is a really big issue in the United States, and it, it unfortunately has reached our community. But the problem is also is that there are Baharians who are selling these drugs to uh, other Baharians. Yes, yes. Like, <laughs> that also needs to be addressed. And it's all local, right? These, this is not somebody traveling really far to get these drugs. Exactly. Or this is not a teenager going into the medicine cabinet of their grandparents and getting oxy or like any of this stuff they are being sold this by other young Baharians, right? Like that's, that's the really big issue and that nobody is really doing anything about. I completely agree with you. I totally agree with you. I think that that's the scariest thing is that this is a tightly knit community. And as soon as I remember recently when I was hearing about all of the deaths that were happening in a lot of the younger generations, I was like, well, where the fuck are they getting it? At the end of the day, this community is so tightly knit that having friends outside of the Baharian community, having non-Baharian friends is rare, right? So it is just as rare, if not more rare for Baharian youth, Baharian people in general, to have drug dealers who aren't Baharian. It's very clear, it's, it's, it's just like very clear that the people who are unfortunately passing away, this is occurring as a result of something that's happening in the community. This isn't happening from outside the community. This isn't just random people coming and giving our, our kids drugs. No, it's happening within the community. But because- We know who they are. We know their right. name. We know yeah. where they live. So like, that's the other thing. Like, how are people allowing this to continue? And like, there are stories that their parents are helping them sell drugs or their oh, grandparents yeah. are selling drugs. Like, it's this whole thing. But, you know, these are not secret people in the community that are selling drugs. People know who they are. They've been arrested before and they, you know, they come out, but, you know, these are not just random folks. Like people know who they are. I don't, I don't know what it's going to take for the community to really get together and really do something about it. I think that it's just really unfortunate because as opposed to finding this as an opportunity to bring people closer together and really reflect on some of the negative practices that are very apparent in our, in our culture, right? And in these cultural hubs. This is being used as 
like a toxic, like just like a, a toxic form of gossip almost. And it's just so unfortunate. And it's just debilitating to even be part of conversations that are surrounding themselves around like, you know what, I actually heard one of my friends had told me that at one of the ceremonies for, I think it was a remembrance ceremony for one of the people who had passed away quite recently, there was a dad and like his son, I think, that he brought to this, this remembrance ceremony. And he was speaking loud enough for like the rest of the people at the table to hear. And he was basically saying like, do you see, like, I brought you here to teach you a lesson. And the boy is like 13 years old. Like he's a little kid. And it's like, I brought you here to teach you a lesson. Like, do you see what happens when you're a bad kid? Like, do you see what goes down when you do things like that your parents don't let you do? And I swear to God, if I was in that seat, I'd be like, sir, you need to get your shit and get the fuck out. Because as long as the rhetoric around these deaths and around these unfortunate circumstances is negative and completely just like breaking down other human beings as opposed to finding an opportunity to bring people together and actually be helpful, there's not gonna be a difference, right? It's just gonna be stagnant. There's gonna be no change. Things are just gonna keep being brushed under the rug. No one's gonna talk about it. Nobody is gonna actually bring justice to the community because at the end of the day, even like you were saying, the people who are selling the drugs, like they're not randos. Like people know who they are. They know what's good, but for some unknown reason, there's no action that's being taken towards it. And I think that for a community that values family, values things like that, right? You'd think that there would be some sort of like action that's being taken towards this in order to find the perpetrators, hold them accountable in order to prevent this from happening in the future. But I think it's really unfortunate that that's not really happening. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that it's another reason why it was so important to have somebody from the community in local government is to provide these types of resources, provide the health services to the community, provide the opportunity for people who actually need help to get the help that they so desperately need, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's really unfortunate that it's not something that's discussed. And I feel like that's a lot of what I'm trying to achieve here is like, let's air the dirty laundry. Like we don't, this whole practice of like, brushing shit under the rug it's only going to get us so far right? right and it's only gotten us so far right i'm not saying that we're in a bad place and i'm not saying that the community is evil right I'm not painting the town red i'm just saying that there are things that we need to talk about in order to make this community better i just i it, yeah it's not about painting anybody evil i think it's a lack of direction you know from people who are at the top or sort of perceived at the top of the community you know there's a big business interest in the community right it's business 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 but when does it become about the community itself? Where the religious aspect is also very strong, right? In the community, building new synagogues, you know, expanding synagogues, that's great, right? But when you, when you neglect community issues, a synagogue is not going to solve all of the community's yeah. problems. It's not, right? It just, it just isn't. And, you know, there are no younger leaders in the community. That's another problem, right? A lot of the community leaders are 50 years old and up. Where are the people 20 to 40 years old, right? Where are they? Why is nobody creating the pipeline, you know, for the next generation of leaders? That's something that we also have to discuss because in like 20 to 30 years, you know, when these older Baharians won't be here with us anymore, who's sort of going to steer the community, right? I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not doing that on my own, right? I'm not, I'm not doing that, but... But where, you know, why is that not being encouraged? Why are younger folks not being brought into like, you know, who's going to take over the Bahari Museum, right? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. like different stuff like that. I think that when you say like, where are the people 20 to 40? 
in my opinion, they've made up their minds. What happens and a lot of what I'm hoping to destigmatize with Chai Podcast is the fact that there's like a very, it's all black and white, right? It's like either you're with us or you're against us. There's no room for interpretation. There's no room for adjustment. It's either you're with us or you're without us. And a lot of the people 20 to 40 are like, deuces then, <laughs> I'm out of here. A lot of younger folks, you know, on, the, on what you're saying is that they don't have appreciation for the community as the older folks do. Right. And a lot of younger Baharians are, they don't want to, you know, have that Baharian like tagline on them. Right. They don't want a lot to do with the Baharian community because they're embarrassed of how the community acts. Like I've heard that plenty of times. Right. They're like, you know, I don't I don't care about the Baharian community. You know, I don't even tell people I'm Baharian. There are people that I know that don't want to marry a Baharian. Right. Like they're going to marry somebody Jewish, but they don't want to marry a Baharian. There's a lot of negative connotations within the community, but it's also like it's not negative just within the Baharian community. There are people outside you know, within the neighborhoods of Forest Hills and Regal Park that also don't like Baharians. Yeah. Because Baharians, you know, stick to themselves. They can be obnoxious, you know, whatever it is. Like I, during the campaign, I had, you know, it was, it was the week of early voting. We were outside of Regal Center and I wasn't there, but I had people there. My, my team was there and a woman passed by and she wasn't Baharian. And she said, I would never vote for a Baharian. She literally said that to, you know, to my people that were standing there because they handed her like my, my palm card. I wish I was surprised. And like, I, you know, when my team told me that I wasn't surprised where like, yeah, cause yeah. I know how people can perceive Baharians and I'm like, okay, like that's just something that, you know, I have to put up with as, you know, a candidate that is Baharian. And then another time, you know, a few months ago, back in February, we were gathering petitions, you know, to get on ballot signatures on 63rd Drive in Queens Boulevard. And a woman passed by yelling at me. She's like, why don't your people wear masks? Oh my God. And I'm like, you know, first of all, your people is pretty pretty problematic. <laughs> um, a little bit problematic. And I didn't know I was the gatekeeper for every single Baharian, right? I didn't know that if I say, listen up, wear masks, <laughs> that everybody's gonna suddenly put on a mask, <laughs> right? Like I can't tell people what to do and I don't, you know, I don't represent every single Baharian. I just don't. So, you know, for that woman to come up to me and yell at me like that, it really threw me off guard. And if she knew like the work that I've done throughout the pandemic, right, to get people masks, to get people food, to get people groceries, you know, I've done my fair share. I, I've done a lot of work. But for her, you know, to really come out of the blue and come out of nowhere, you know, to start yelling, it was random. It was so random. We couldn't even ask her for a signature. She just like saw my name and she's like, oh, he's Baharian. And she went off on me. I'm not even, I think that it's, it's exactly what you were saying is that like somehow along the line of the past 30 years that the majority of Baharians came here and immigrated here along the way, nobody knows like how it happened or where it happened. Suddenly the Baharian culture and the traditional fundamentalist like values that I want to say like the older generation really stands by somehow those two have been like molded and melded into one. So now the association with the Baharian culture is all of these like fundamentalist values that not everybody shares, but for some reason, the way that it's promoted is that, oh, well, if you're Baharian, then you must think X, Y, and Z. And X, Y, and Z are like horrible, like racist, heteronormative, and just like generally 
awful thoughts, but it's like, not everybody who's part of the community feels that way. And those that do feel that way, they don't usually stick around because they say, you know what, I'm more progressive. I don't agree with any of these opinions. And I don't really want to surround myself with either people from the community, or I don't want to surround myself just geographically in this neighborhood. People move away, just disassociate themselves from that aspect of their own identity. And that's what the saddest thing is, because there's no way out. There's no way to separate the culture, the beautiful aspects of the traditions and the culture and what have you, and these really, really toxic views and toxic opinions. And they're like, well, I can't distinguish them. I can't separate them. The majority of the 50 and up community believes in these values. So how am I supposed to find a space for myself? And that's why it's so important for people within that 20 to 40 age group to actually voice their opinions because then you have the people who are below 20 who instead of having people who are like normal in their 20s and 30s to look up to they're looking up to their 50 year old dads being like i want to be like him when i grow up and just have a huge belly and drink blue label three times a week but it's like but there's more to life than that you know what i mean and they don't want to participate in politics they don't want to participate in like the arts or literature right because they're like I don't need any of that. I can be successful and I can strive and succeed in this bubble without any of that. There's a disconnect between the generations like in the 20s and the 30s because they're either fully conditioned and they're fully, they fully agree with the people who are 15 up or they're just not here. Those progressive values, the people who actually know what they're about, they know how they feel, they physically feel like they can't succeed in the bubble. So they have to, they have to go. Right, I mean, when you, when you have a community that is so traditional and you have people that, you know, think a little bit differently or, you know, want to pursue different things, they are shunned, right? A little bit and they feel that way. So why would they want to be a part of a community that they don't think accepts them? Right. So, you know, there are, I know a lot of people that, you know, want nothing to do with being Baharian. Yeah, I think that the Baharian experience has definitely been tokenized. And what it means to be Baharian has definitely been tokenized as this like really like ultra conservative to a point where that's the only Baharian reality that people want to accept. But I think that regardless of the fact, I think that you obviously are paved, you paved the way. I think you did the hard part, which is really like, it takes the person who actually cares the most to do the hard part and pave the way and make other people actually believe that like, hey, it could be your face on the poster on Fanny's Pizza. It could be your face on the convenience store window. Like you can make it work. Like if this is something that you're really into. And that's, I feel like for me was one thing that I was like, as soon as I was getting my cast list together, as soon as getting my guest list together, I was like, yeah, I need David. I don't give, I literally said, I don't give a fuck if he wins or loses. I need him on the show. Like period, end of story. Because this is a big deal. This is a big step for a community. We're going in the right direction. Like we're moving forward. It might be like baby steps, but we're getting there. And hopefully at some point in the near future, we'll be seeing a lot of other people in the younger generations making that shift to career paths and interests that might not be like traditional, quote unquote, right? You know, I, I'm, I'm really proud of the campaign we ran. We, we really shook the establishment. Yeah. They were like making calls to try to like take me down the last couple <laughs> of weeks because they saw the momentum we were getting, not just among Baharians, everybody, right? Because we were a campaign that, that reached out to every single community. If you look at the map of how we performed, if you look in Richmond Hill, we won a section of Richmond Hill and then we came second in like every other election district in Richmond Hill. There are no Baharians that live in that part of Richmond yeah. Hill. Like we did really well across different demographic groups. And it shows that, you know, I'm not a candidate that just, that just focuses on one community, right? 
I really went around, I knocked doors in every single part of this district. And it was hard work, right? It was nonstop work. You know, leave in the morning, you come home late at night, you know, you're on the phone planning with your team and doing all of this through a pandemic, right? Where a lot of people also don't even feel comfortable opening the door. So it was tough, right? It was tough for, I would say like an insurgent candidate as myself to overtake the establishment, right? Because they have all the tools that they do year after year and we're building everything from scratch, right? I was the youngest candidate in the race and I received over 4,100 ranked choice votes. You know, that's pretty, that's pretty that's cool. That's impressive. No, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Cool. I always say it's not the end, right? It's just the beginning because yeah. we, we put in a lot of resources into the community to educate people. You know, we, we showed people how to vote also, right? A lot of people were going to vote at polling sites for the first time. So, you know, it's, it's sending a tradition because, you know, maybe you, you know, you go vote once, you'll continue it, right? For yeah. further elections. It's not a one time and done thing, right? You have to continuously be part of your community. Yeah, absolutely. I entirely agree with you. I just want to take a moment and say thank you so much for coming on. This has been an absolutely amazing experience. I definitely appreciate you coming on here and being my very first guest. I hope that you had a good time as well. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me, Sharon. This was great. Really cool initiative that you are doing in the community. I think that we need, you know, more of this and to, you know, speak about different perspectives and different, I guess, point of views. And I'm excited, you know, to see where this goes.